All in the name of Jesus. In the last uh, question, adult book was asking if it's important that we celebrate Christmas. And it's interesting, two of the four Gospels don't mention anything about Christ's birth, really. We'll have the story anyway. But I think it is important that we um, commemorate the birth of Christ. Without his birth, there would not have been his death. And uh, I think we have to be careful that we, um, where we draw the line and how we celebrate Christmas, obviously, you know that most of the world doesn't celebrate it correctly. We have to be careful that we don't get swept along by culture and could easily put wrong emphasis on the birth of Christ, on, on Christmas, I should say, <clears throat> and not to look at what this actually represents, the fulfilled prophecy and everything, all the things that we can look look at. Um, I think before we go into the message, just like to read the account here in Luke 2 verses 1 through 40 of the birth of Christ. You can turn there if you want and read with me. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea and to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in, in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into the heaven, Shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad saying, the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel because he was conceived in the womb. Or sorry, before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for all, for the fallen rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Aser. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she was coming in that instant, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Stop reading there. <clears throat> so, we're familiar with this story. I read it many times, heard it many times. Today, I want to look at five, I'm still not sure exactly my title, but something anyway in regard to five surprises or five Mysteries, I guess five surprises of Christmas. First one we want to look at is the parents of Jesus. And we'll just our imagination run a bit. If if we were to do the deciding, if we were to have decided whom would we have chosen to be the parents of Jesus? I think someone like 
Mary and Joseph probably would have been near the end of the list. Humanly speaking, we would have probably have chosen uh, wealthy parents to be the parents of the Christ child so that he could have had advantages in this life. Isn't that how we think? We would have chosen someone who would have uh, had more resources, probably, who would have maybe been more mature, someone who would have had more chance to protect this special baby that they were entrusted with. The parents we would have selected probably would have been people of culture, probably someone with influence, someone who could have provided so that the Messiah would have had the right education and trained in in right manners in society. You look around the people that make um, the greatest impact on the world are so usually descendants of wealthy and influential parents, isn't it? As we looked at in our Sunday school lesson, where did the wise men go when they went to find to worship Jesus? I think they went to Jerusalem, they went to the palace probably, because that's where you would think you would find the king of kings, wouldn't it? In the in the royal place. That's a normal response, obvious place to look. But God selected God in his wisdom and his um, his omniscience selected two unlikely people. Mary, who possibly quite likely was a teenage girl, a young woman anyway, and uh, her father or the father of uh, or father of Jesus, he selected not some prince, but a blue-collar carpenter named Joseph. <clears throat> it's very different than what we would have decided if we were to do the choosing. Joseph, just a carpenter from a small, uncultured town of Nazareth. As uh, remember Nathaniel said, when he was first told by Philip about Jesus, what did he say? He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? This village didn't have a very good reputation. From this, Jesus being um, placed with parents from <clears throat> this common background, no prestige there, we can see that God uses ordinary people even today as well. Many times in the Bible, we see that God's power <clears throat> was was shown or manifested in the lives of people that looked ordinary from the outside. Nothing impressive at all, but on the inside, they were submitted, always had to be submitted and surrendered people, just like Mary and Joseph. They weren't <clears throat> just chosen because of who they were or where they were, but they were chosen because, for one thing, <clears throat> they were 
ready to be used of God. There were people that were ready to sacrifice. They were the kind of people that the angel could speak to and that they would did not argue. They did not demand explanations beyond what were given, but they were ready to follow God's command. <clears throat> After them, Mary was visited by the angel, she said, May it be as, as you have spoken. <clears throat> and Matthew writes that Joseph was a righteous man. God is not today either. <clears throat> He's not looking for education, vocation, economic status, or even great natural ability as much as what, as he is looking for a heart that is ready to, to submit to Christ. In Acts 4, verse 13, it says, Now <clears throat> when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Again, people that didn't have any special training. The disciples were just common men, but used tremendously because of their sacrifice, their willingness to follow and, uh, and learn from Jesus. Someone has said, it is not your ability that counts with God, but it's your availability. How available are we to God? We may be surprised at the selection of Mary and Joseph, but they were the kind of people God works to, ordinary people who have given their lives to the king and who have bent their knee before him, saying, I am yours, use me in any way that you can, Lord. Challenge for us to be the kind of people that God can use. doesn't matter our background. We don't have to be educated, we don't have to be princes, we don't have to come from a long lineage of influential people, but we have to be ready to be used of him. <clears throat> All right, the next one, number two, is the timing of Jesus' birth. Thank you. God also obviously had the time that he selected for this. If we were in charge of the timing, we probably wouldn't have chosen the time of Caesar Augustus. When would you have thought would be a good time for Christ to be born? <clears throat> we possibly would have chosen the time after King David was then ruling. There was then Jerusalem was kind of, or the, Israel was kind of a superpower. David had led them to victory in many ways. They had momentum, they had wealth, they had influence, had opportunity. Wouldn't that have been a good time for the Messiah to come? That Jesus would succeed the rule of King David, or maybe we would have chosen the 20th century when 
air travel, travel is available, satellite communication. Humanly speaking, that would be a good time to for Jesus to be born. But we know that God came to dwell with men in the first century Palestine, as it says in Galatians 4, verse 4. 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. God, in his foreknowledge, knew that this was the time, this was the fullness of time. And if we think about it, study it, we see that God's timing was perfect. Of course, God is in control of history and he sees things that man can't see. God knew the exact moment that would bring the greatest impact. 300 years before Christ came, Alexander the Great conquered the world, established a language as a universal language, Greek language, and uh, probably not everyone could speak this language, but it was spread pretty much across the conquered or the known world at that time. So when Jesus came to the world, this was one of the rare times in history when people of the world could communicate by and large. There was a universal language. Also, after Alexander the Great, Rome became the new world power, and Rome, the Romans built roads across much of their of their um, their kingdom. They built uh, garrisons, forts. Rome kept a strong military presence throughout her empire. And all of this made travel easy and relatively safe. There was order and peace uh, like there had not really been before. You know, Augustus Caesar was responsible for the Pax Romana. There was relative peace, so the good news of Jesus could spread around the world relatively fast, unlike it could have before that, probably. After 400 years of silence from God, mankind found out that they could not make it without him. I think they were seeing more and more that there was a need for a savior. There was a widespread expectancy of the Messiah. And even though, unfortunately, not very many recognized him, I think this was a time of great need that they recognized a need for a Messiah. Also, the old faiths had worn out. Jews were convinced that their way of practicing the law was not keeping the law like they should. They saw their need of a Savior. Gentiles likewise became disillusioned with their many gods who were offering them no real help. This was a perfect time for Jesus to be born. Maybe it wasn't a time we would have expected or planned, but all these events perfectly were synchronized by God. This wasn't an accident. God picked 
this time in history perfectly. Gospel message spread throughout the Roman Empire and the world very, very quickly. <clears throat> Paul writes or alludes to this in letter to Colossians in Colossians 1 verse 23. It says, But ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. God is in control. All timing is God's timing. Nothing in this world, history or or yet future, has happened or will happen without God's knowledge and approval. Caesar Augustus thought he was in control when he ordered the census to be taken. I think he probably thought it was his idea, but God knew about the census before the creation of the world. Later, Herod thought he could stop God's plan by having the Christ child murdered, but he was not successful in that. Could not have been because God is in control and has everything planned. Isaiah 14, verse 24. The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass, and I, as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Nothing can change it if God has purposed it. <clears throat> so no matter how wicked this world gets, no matter how out of control things may look or feel to us at times in our lives, what God has said will happen. He has said he will forgive our sins if we surrender, if we ask for that. He will forgive our sins, just as surely. He has said he will build his church. He said he will give us peace and power. That's also as true now as ever. He said we can be victorious. All things will work out for good. Christ will return and he will or is preparing a place for us in heaven. That is also a promise that we can rest on. But remember, all of this is in God's timing, not ours. So many times we would like to have some control. We would like to make the timing ours, but remember, it's his timing, not ours. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. God's timing is perfect. Number three, the place of Jesus' birth. Jesus was born in a small village town called Bethlehem. If we would have been the one to choose a place for his birth. It probably would have been a different city. It might have been Rome. It might have been Jerusalem or Athens, Alexandria. But Bethlehem probably would not have been 
first thing that would come to a person's mind. Bethlehem was small and insignificant. It was so small that when Joshua, after conquering Cain, allotted the towns for the various tribes, it wasn't even mentioned. But we know the prophet Micah, 700 years before Christ, mentioned the town of Bethlehem in Micah 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Micah proclaimed that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem thousands of years ago, but a week before Jesus' birth, Mary was still in Nazareth, approximately 80 miles away from Bethlehem. That was, was significant as well. But God, who was in control, took care of this. When Caesar ordered a census to be taken, the census required that everyone return to the place of their roots. And Joseph needed to register in his family's town, which was Bethlehem. So they made the four, uh, Joseph and Mary made, at just the right time, made this four-day journey to Bethlehem. I'm not sure if Mary at this point thought this was the right time to be making this journey, but we know as we look at all these miracles of prophecy being fulfilled, it's amazing how we would have thought this timing would not work out, but they did make it to this town of Bethlehem. Significant. Not only was Jesus born in an insignificant town, but he was also born in a stable. And uh, so we think of the King of Kings, the Savior of the world, born in a stable. We would think, well, that's surely an inn would have been a place where we would have chosen. But remember, inns in those days were not like we would call a fancy hotel not either more like a like a cheap hotel that we think of now not a very good place according to what I was reading they were more like a boarding house and crowded loud and not I'm sure the I'm sure God had a purpose that Jesus was born in a stable instead, a quiet place. There was a reason that we sing about Bethlehem today, that Jesus Christ was born there. Bethlehem, a small, insignificant village full of blue-collar workers, nothing special. But remember, no place and no person is insignificant as long as Jesus is there. As long as the king is on his throne, that place, that person is significant. We might today see big, beautiful churches, big, fancy temples. But those things don't, aren't significant because of their greatness. 
the only reason any church or temple can be significant is the fact of Jesus Christ's presence there in the in the lives and hearts of the people. If Jesus Christ is here, if Jesus Christ rules this place, if he is on the throne, or if we are seeking to worship him, to serve him and lift him up, then we also can have significance in the eyes of God. No church, no home, and no individual is insignificant in the eyes of the Almighty if Jesus Christ is ruling there. It is, it is, remember, it is Jesus Christ that gives the significance to a life. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, just go through those verses. Peter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We all recognize ourselves as people that would have been desolate, without hope, without mercy, if it wasn't have been for the birth and then ultimately the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, number four, let's look at the uneventful nature of Jesus' birth. Almighty God coming down to earth and living with man. This is big news, would have been. Yet, look at how the scriptures describe this event. It says, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth. Very ordinary, same wording used of any other baby born, but Jesus the king, which we would have thought would have been a lot more significant, was described the same way. <laughs> In our thinking, Jesus' birth probably would have looked more significant. But Jesus came looking like any other baby, any other child. He also, in his coming and his complete humanity, came completely dependent on Mary for his well-being. And that's a mystery to us. It's kind of mind-boggling to think about that. But his majesty came in the midst of the mundane. His holiness came in the midst of an animal stable. He came through the lives of a young woman, and in the presence of a young carpenter, a 
sure how Joseph, how old Joseph was. He wasn't as young as Mary, but still inexperienced parents came to a town that continued. The life of the town continued on as usual. I think the merchants in this town were unaware that God was visiting the planet. The innkeeper was unaware that he had sent the Son of God out into the cold, so to speak. I think the people would have scoffed if anyone would have told them that the Messiah that they had read about or heard about was lying in the arms of a young woman on the outskirts of their village. Those who missed the Messiah's arrival that night missed it not because of evil acts or malice, but they missed it because they simply were not looking. God also today often does dramatic things in undramatic ways. We know in the Old Testament, God did dramatic things. One of the most dramatic events the Old Testament probably was when Elijah called down fire from heaven and it consumed the altar. And then seven days later, several days later, we have Elijah in a cave depressed because that dramatic miracle didn't convince Jezebel. And we know then in his life there also, there was a sudden violent wind, but God wasn't in that dramatic event. There was a terrible fire. God was not in that dramatic fire either. There was a thundering earthquake. God was not in that dramatic earthquake. But then God came to Elijah through the still small voice. Not very dramatic, but God was there. Because people crave the sensational and dramatic, they often miss the very thing God is trying to show them. Includes us as well, isn't it? Far too many, too far too many people today. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is still not enough to excite them, to empower them, to motivate them or encourage them to find their freedom. Those people who 2,000 years ago were looking for a dramatic and spectacular coming of the Messiah missed it. And us today, who have a tendency also to be wrapped up in the dramatic and the sensational, also have a have a tendency or a possibility of missing out. Us today will not be able to hear the still small voice of God if we are absorbed by the clamor of the world. Number five, who received the announcement? You know that the word was given to, announcements was given to many different people as well. But primarily the first one we notice is the shepherds heard the message. The angel came to the shepherds first. They weren't the most influential people of the day. As a matter of fact, they were probably the lower class. 
Many of them probably were migrants, people who ate and slept with the animals in their surroundings, probably smelled a bit like them as well. Social, socially, they weren't very high class. Most people probably kept their distance from them. But it was to them that this announcement was given. In our way of thinking, this announcement probably would have, we would first have shared that with the theologians of the day. We would think this message would have been shed abroad in this, to the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, or maybe the angels would have appeared to the emperor of Rome. King Herod. But on that night, the great announcement came to the shepherds, to the common people. We know it was, as we read here in Luke 8 to 14, I don't think we'll read it again, but the angel came to the shepherds. The glory of the law of the Lord shone round about them, and uh, they didn't have to be very educated. Didn't have to be explained to them over and over again, but they understood and they accepted. The shepherds are a symbol of God's acceptance of all people. God's angels appeared to them announced the birth of the Savior. To the lowest, God gave his highest. To the neglected, God gave his attention. And to the poor, God gave his riches. It wasn't just to the poor that this message was given, obviously, either. As we looked at in the Sunday school lesson, the wise men of other nations also recognized what was taking place. But one thing have to see or understand through this that the message given to the shepherds illustrates this great truth that there's room in Jesus' presence for all, all, all classes. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one stands higher than another. We're all the same. We all need Jesus, and he died for all of us. In going to the shepherds, God was also announcing Jesus' purpose for coming. Jesus came into the world to be the Lamb of God, who would be that sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the world. Those who were looking after the lambs were the first to look upon the Lamb of God. So in conclusion, do you feel ordinary? You know, God uses ordinary people. Do you look at the world and lose heart? Just remember God has overcome the world and is in control. His plan has come to pass. And we look around in despair and wonder what's going to take place. Remember, God is still just as in control today as he was then, back then. 
Do you feel accepted sometimes? Remember, God accepts you. you. Are you a sinner? Are you feeling weighed down by the weight of sin? Know this, a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord, the Lamb, who has come to take away the sins of the world. Everyone's sin can be taken away. Let's kneel for prayer. Father, heaven, we pause before you at the close of this service. We are so thankful that you sent Jesus, that he was willing to come to this earth, take on the form of a man, and all that that entailed was not just the birth, and also his, his life of teaching, and then most of all, his death and resurrection. It's only through that that we can have a promise of entering into your presence someday, being right with you. We are so thankful of this great, great news was, was shed abroad that we can experience there is life through Christ. Just help us in this, this day that we would worship you properly, that we would not become sidetracked by the commercialization of Christmases today in most of the world. Help us ever see Christ for who he really is and who he is um, to be shone abroad through our lives. Help us to do our part. Also pray, Lord, more practically today that you would be with all those that are gathering in many places, that you would keep them safe and be with them, keep them safe beyond the traveling that is taking place. Help us throughout this day to glorify you and honor you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.